Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old and we welcome Freddie you in to, to a seven-figure contract. Gambling but podcast. Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down of my every single documentary project Greg. looking closely at the details of his career. Until now, people are going to look at the because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they him managing our podcast. And this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, for Blue Wire Podcast. NFL Week 13, we're into the home stretch of the NFL regular season. And it's good to have Alex Ward again. Buddy, how are we doing? How are you doing? Is there anything you don't gamble on? Not really. Gambling guys? Fickle butt. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Gambler's not your problem. Uh, you're just an idiot. Mashed potatoes. Okay. Lots of gravy. And then the sausage stuffing. That's oh, it. Right. You that's did tell go-to. me about this. We probably talked about this last week. That yeah. sounds delicious. Yeah, that was the, that was the go-to. Ham or so turkey? Don't say ham. Uh, no, turkey. Okay. Yeah, I mean, turkey's very overrated, but it's still perfectly <laughs> delicious on Thanksgiving covered in gravy, so. That's so good. let's get into it. NFL Week 13 is upon us. We're going to run through the entire rotation, talk about the sides and totals that we are looking at in this one. And speaking of Thanksgiving, let's talk about a team that we see every year on Thanksgiving as the first game up in the rotation features number 451, the Detroit Lions visiting the Chicago Bears. Detroit is a field goal dog on the road, a total in this game of 44 and a half. And obviously the big story surrounding this game is the first game post Matt Patricia as the Lions moved on from Patricia as the head coach and Bob Quinn as the general manager. So uh, no surprise there given the struggles that have gone on in the Motor City that they are looking to reboot the organization in the offseason. 
Alex, before we get into handicapping this game, did you happen to see the story surrounding the interim head coach, Daryl Bevel, and his daughters when he got promoted over the weekend? I did not. I did okay. not see that. Please All right. tell. Well, I, it was hilarious. So he, on Saturday, of course, Lions played on Thursday, and he's spending some time with his family because they got a few days off. And he gets a few texts. From it just he's got three daughters and two of the three daughters are dating, and he happens to get a pair of texts uh, from the boyfriends of the two daughters that are dating, and both of the boyfriends want to propose to the daughters that they are dating of Daryl Bevel, and so they're asking to marry his daughters. All the while he just got promoted to be the Lions interim head coach. So he's having this crazy day in his own life and with his family. And then he goes on a Zoom call and talks about how crazy the day has been and mentions that the boyfriends asked for his daughter's hands in marriage before they can even propose. So he ruins the engagement. Oh, my God. What a weekend for the Bevel family. And this is the same guy, by the way, and I saw a funny poll going around. If you remember, he was the offensive coordinator in Seattle during the Malcolm Butler Super Bowl. And so there was a poll. What's worse, throwing on the one-yard line in the Super Bowl or ruining your daughter's engagements? Oh, man. I I saw a lot of Lions fans were not happy that he was going to be the interim coach. Yeah, and and we'll see. Uh, what he can do there in Detroit certainly uh, doesn't seem like somebody that is going to be getting any kind of serious consideration uh, for the full-time job there. But having said all of that, as I said, Detroit three-point dog, and I'm going to go to the well with a spot that I always like to play. And we, I feel like as gamblers, we hear about this a lot. And Alex, I know you have some stats on this. It's betting on the team the week after the coach gets fired because for one reason or another, whether it's they just didn't like the coach or it can put the team on notice that there are changes are coming and you better you know light a fire under your ass to start playing better. Obviously, Detroit also has extra time to prepare, which we like. we got to keep an eye. It doesn't sound like Kenny Galladay is going to go. Keeping an eye on DeAndre Swift if he can be back as a weapon in that backfield. Having said that, though, I just think at the end of the day, you look at the game that Detroit lost on Thanksgiving, and it was a high-scoring game in which the defense for Detroit really struggled to slow down Deshaun Watson at all. This is where I really struggle with the game. In addition to just wanting to back Detroit, it sounds like Patricia was not well-liked by a lot of players, a lot of former players that were yapping on Twitter on Saturday, happy that he was out of the Motor City. So, in addition to just thinking that I think we might see a more motivated Detroit team, I also just watched Chicago in primetime last week, as we all did, on Sunday Night Football, and I'm thinking, well, who are the Chicago Bears to be a favorite right now over almost anyone? Because that's how bad the offense is, where I just don't trust them to get any kind of margin. And so in a game that you would think would always be close, I'm going to want to take points there anyway. And... You consider, as I said, all the post-Patricia angles. I, I think the Detroit side makes a lot of sense. Uh, I like them here, and I know you have some stats on the post-coach uh, firing first game of the interim stuff. Yeah, so this is a situational spot for sure. I'm going to take the Lions plus three as well. 
teams that fire their coach the next game, they're 14 and 16 straight up. So that's 46.6% straight up, which doesn't sound like much, but you have to consider that these are bad teams, obviously, if they're firing their coach midseason. Prior to that, they're 79, 216, and 2 straight up, which is 26.7%. So, obviously, there's quite the increase. That's the last game of the coach that then gets fired. Yes. So, right. the next game, they're 14 and 16 straight up. We saw it this year. We saw it with the Falcons and the uh, the Texans. The Texans were actually six-and-a-half-point favorites against the Jags, and they were able to win that and cover easily. Um, looks like Swift is out of the concussion protocol, but I'm seeing that he is he had questionable. Yeah, non-COVID-related illness, which I would think that he plays. We'll see how effective he is. But the Bears, they're the worst rushing offense in the entire NFL. They're 32nd in the league. They only average 82.2 point yards on the ground per game. So no help really for Trubisky. They don't have all that many weapons in the passing game. And I really can't trust Trubisky in this spot or really any spot. But as a (laughs) home favorite laying this number, yeah, I just – I can't get there. I I really like the Lions here to bounce back after a pretty bad game. I think they'll really get up. Now that Patricia's gone, it looked like a lot of current players and former players did not like Patricia at all. Right, right. Which is more or less the angle that we'd like to play here is when it's a disliked coach that is on the way out, then it can kind of just result in, like, I'll remember this as an Eagle fan. Chip Kelly got fired the second to la- after the second to last game of the season, they didn't even let him finish the season in his final season with the Eagles. And it was a meaningless week 17 game against the giants, which also just so happened to be Coughlin's last year with the giants. And both teams were playing for absolutely nothing. And myself and a bunch of other Eagles fans were just hoping for a loss to improve draft position. And the Eagles came out and played really hard and won the game. <laughs> of and course. You know, it was obviously a meaningless win, but I do think that is the point I'm making is Chip Kelly faded pretty fast in Philadelphia, and he was a coach that didn't seem to have the locker room, and when he was gone, it just yeah, I, all want to go out and win the game. Right. I think the main thing is there that they've completely lost the locker room if they're getting fired midseason. And also, these guys are playing for the next regime. This is essentially – a tryout for whoever's next head coach. Are they going to keep you on the roster? Are they going to move you? Right. What's the deal? They're going to look back at this. I mean, they've already at this point, and that's the thing. Like if you're a Detroit player, the GM has been fired. The coach has been fired. There's no reason to think that you're safe. So you got a month here to prove yourself to ownership and whoever comes in as the GM that you belong moving forward. Exactly. Let's move on and go down to South Florida where we have the Miami Dolphins getting a lot of respect, and rightfully so, given the season that they've had. They are an 11.5-point favorite over the Cincinnati Bengals. A total of just 42.5 in this game, and we'll certainly get into that. Obviously, Cincinnati playing yet another game without Joe Burrow as he underwent surgery this week. Uh, So we certainly would love to see him back on the football field next year. And it's a Miami team that appears primed to start Ryan Fitzpatrick again. And Alex, before we get into the handicap here, 
I'll just be honest. Like, if I'm Miami, I understand that you want to try and develop your future with Tua Tagovailoa, but I have a hard time thinking that Fitzpatrick the rest of the season doesn't give you the best chance of winning. I know that they've said they're committed to Tua, but I felt all along that the time will come for Tua to take this job, and I know he already started some games and had some success. It just feels like, in my opinion, down the stretch here, you're not exactly putting him in the best spot as just a, I would think mentally, I wouldn't be surprised moving forward if he kind of kind of whittles up in the moment to a degree. I, I don't mean to sound like I'm a Tua hater, but it just feels like the veteran the rest of the season would make some sense given that he Fitzpatrick really was never playing that poorly. What do you make of this Dolphins quarterback situation? I agree. I think Fitzpatrick, it's good to go with the veteran, especially down the stretch here. These are pretty pivotal games. They're going to want to make the playoffs. They haven't done that in quite some time. and They've looked really good on defense, so why not put in the guy that is just more responsible with the ball, knows the offense better, the veteran, he can make some plays. He, he did not look bad in those games that he started the right. season. They were actually coming on pretty strong before they made the change. So I was more confused about making the switch at that point, and it's even more worrisome now. Why would you switch back at that point? Exactly. Well, while All while you're in the midst of a playoff hunt, and a game that they should certainly win here, but now when we get into the numbers here, Laying 11.5 with such a low total of 42.5 certainly makes you think it's a side total correlation where if you want to lay the lumber with the Dolphins, you would think the game goes over the total, and vice versa with Cincinnati getting the cash last week as a touchdown dog just about against the New York Giants. Bengals sneak through the back door in that one, and the game did stay under the total uh, in Cincinnati uh, as Daniel Jones obviously suffered an injury in that one for the Giants. Get to that a little bit later, but... I'm going to stay far away from this game. Fitzpatrick, I mean, I do think if you like Miami, you probably like the over because we've seen Fitzpatrick. He's not one to hesitate when it comes to taking chances and, you know, zinging the ball down the field. And that can lend itself towards quick scores. And, uh, you know, 42.5 is a pretty low total in today's NFL. You know, and obviously it's a Cincinnati offense that – doesn't have a whole lot going for itself right now. Look, Joe Mixon, we might not see him the rest of the year. And obviously have some talent on the outside. Can Brandon Allen consistently get them the ball is another question. So, uh, you know, I think there's always going to be a number where you're going to invite some interest on these teams with backup quarterbacks. And we saw them have success last week. Jacksonville gets a cover with Mike Lennon. Cincinnati gets a cover with Brandon Allen. San Francisco gets an outright win with Nick Mullins. So it can be done, but uh, gosh, that Miami defense has been playing pretty well, so I don't think I'd want a piece of Cincinnati here. No, I was initially looking at the Bengals, and then I dove a little deeper into the numbers. I was looking at last week. The the Bengals were outgained 386 total yards to 155 total yards. And this Dolphins defense is arguably much better than the Giants are, and they seem to stymie the Bengals. It was a couple of lucky plays for them to cover. I'm still pretty upset the Giants couldn't get there. But I, I just don't think I can. I can Were you holding a Giants ticket? I was indeed. So Ugh. that was bad. Not great. You, you dominate a team like that on offense. And you, oh, I know. And you only win by 
two points is pretty shocking. Uh, especially with Jones not even <laughs> didn't even throw an interception, so that's it's hard to believe. <laughs> but uh, this Dolphins defense is just too good to go against. But I also really don't want to lay that many points with the Dolphins right now. So absolutely, yeah, I'm gonna absolutely pass. Let's move forward and go to Houston, where we have kind of an interesting game in the a in the AFC South. The Houston Texans are hosting the Indianapolis Colts. We're seeing Indianapolis laying three and the hook in Houston, a total of 50 in this game. You know, and I'll start, I am maybe guilty of some recency bias here because obviously Indianapolis looked bad, let's just call it how it is, against Tennessee last week. That was an ugly, ugly showing from the Colts. And on the other hand, now we have the Texans uh, starting to show some signs of life uh, in the post-Bill O'Brien era. Of course, we mentioned Patricia getting fired. The first coach fired this season was, of course, Bill O'Brien there with Houston. And the big storyline for Houston is this is the first game of what is now a six-game suspension for wide receiver Will Fuller. He will miss the last five games of 2020 and the first game of 2021 due to violating the NFL's performance-enhancing drug policy. And... You know, so on one hand, you could look at it and say this is kind of the money zone for Frank Reich. He has been very good in his tenure with Indianapolis at uh, covering as a short favorite, even though he lost outright last week as a three and a half point favorite against Tennessee. Certainly could be a get right spot for the Indianapolis defense, which was the talk of the league in some aspects, or certainly getting a lot of hype the first half of the season when Indianapolis really proved itself on that side of the football. Uh, and now without Fuller, obviously one less weapon for the Colts to contain. But I'm going to kind of back the trend of the divisional home dog, which has been very profitable this season, uh, and go with the Houston Texans, get in the short number. I missed the hook. Shame on me. I got three. If you can get three and a half, I still think it makes sense because while Fuller definitely is their best playmaker, Brandon Cooks looks healthy, and we saw him go 5 for 85 last week against Detroit. Uh, so he seems to be uh, involving himself more, and certainly uh, a healthy Brandon Cooks. That was never the, you know, production was never the problem. It was always him staying on the field. They may even get David Johnson back. It sounds like the offensive coordinator this week for Houston said he looks great. So they may get him back in the backfield, which obviously maybe could lessen the ask for Deshaun Watson here. But even if it doesn't, it's a Deshaun Watson team quarter, you know, he's playing really well right now. And I think that it's a Houston team that we know they have the quarterback, right? So what's the reason for them to lose games? I think that they're playing hard the rest of the season to try and prove to all the candidates that this is a desirable job. And I think it could be one of the better ones on the coaching carousel. I think they're going to prove it again. I think Houston has a chance to steal this game outright. I'll take the points. I absolutely love the Colts. <laughs> Wow, I got him at. That's uh, right for me. I got him at two and a half. I would still play this currently at three and a half. Uh, if you're one of those conservative people, maybe buy it down to three. But I think Indy wins by at least a touchdown here. Fuller is easily the best weapon on the offense, like you mentioned. Fuller has eight receiving touchdowns on the season. Uh, Brandon Cooks, uh, Cobb, and Darren Fells, they have nine receiving touchdowns combined. 
So that's a massive loss for the offense. So I really just can't trust an offense led by Cooks, Cobb, Darren Fells, and Aikens. Uh, this this uh, Colts defense, they've been uh, really embarrassed the past two weeks. I think this is a good spot to bounce back. They're still a top ten defense. They're seventh in average rushing yards allowed per game, and they're sixth in average passing yards allowed per game. And then the Texans defense is really bad. Here's a little weird stat for you. The, they're leading interceptions. They're all there's three guys tied at one, and one of those guys is JJ Watt after he got an interception last week, and the other guy with one is Roby, who is now out wow. as well for six games. I just don't think this defense is nearly good enough. They rank thirty three. Philip Rivers in DFS is what you're saying. Uh, maybe more so Hines with how bad the rushing defense is. But yeah, and Jonathan prefer. Taylor should come back off the COVID list. Yeah, so I think I think both of them could have a big game. The Texans are thirty first in average rushing yards gained per game, so they can't run the ball very well. So this all leans on Watson, who is very capable. He's been playing very well, but losing your best, arguably your best deep threat. I just really don't see how they're going to be able to recover. Cooks has been playing well. He has 719 yards receiving. Fuller had 879. But then it falls down from Cooks to Cobb with 441. And then Darren Fells and Aikens, the two tight ends, they each have 275 yards. So Fuller was a huge part of that offense. Losing him, I think, is too much to recover from. I think the Colts can comfortably win this. So we'll see who prevails on that one, Alice, on the road chalk. I'll back the home dog in Indy at Houston. I want to move north where we have the Minnesota Vikings laying a big number against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Minnesota rotation number 458. A 10.5 point favorite in this game. A total of 50.5. And And I'll start. I'm going to lay the lumber here and back the Vikings. I don't love doing it because it's just such a big number. You always worry about the back door, especially with a team like Jacksonville that seems to keep games close enough where you're always sweating it to some degree. Uh, And I got this at 9.5, but I'd still play it at the current market, 10, 10.5, because here's what I'm seeing in Minnesota. They were a team five, six weeks ago. They were one in five, and they looked completely dead. The Atlanta Falcons, speaking of games after a coach gets fired, the week after Dan Quinn gets fired, Atlanta travels to Minnesota and beats the snot out of the Vikings. It's not even competitive, and that's a bad Atlanta team at that point in the time. Then Minnesota goes into its bye week at one and five, and it looks like they're dead, right? And there's nothing that's coming of this season for the Vikings. Then what happens? They win three straight divisional games, including a road win at Green Bay. All of a sudden, they're four and five, and things are looking up again for the Vikings. Then a home loss against Dallas, and, you know, ebbs and flows 
inconsistent team altogether the Vikings have been. So they lose that game to Dallas. I was on the Cowboys in that game. That didn't surprise me. But the reason I really like the Vikings here is because of how they ended the game last week against Carolina. After losing to Dallas, they're 4-6, and six, and they absolutely have to have the game against Carolina if they're going to make a run at the wild card. And despite Carolina scoring back-to-back defensive touchdowns by the same player, Jeremy Chin, Kirk Cousins, of all quarterbacks, leads the Vikings back, and they steal the game. And so that, again, was a sign. If the Vikings were going to lay down, they would have just tapped out last week, down two scores in the fourth quarter against the Carolina Panthers. But that didn't happen. They kept fighting. They keep playing. Mike Zimmer's a veteran coach. He's been there a while. Gary Kubiak's a veteran offensive coordinator. I think they want to try and see what they can do this season the rest of the way and try and make the most out of it. They have a lot of defenders that are young and kind of learning the ropes this season. And obviously we've seen Justin Jefferson thrown right into things and do very well offensively. All of this is to say that it's a Vikings team that believes they can still make a run in this NFC wildcard picture, and I don't know what Jacksonville is. They just fired Dave Caldwell, the GM. Doug Marone seems to be a dead man walking on the sideline. They're still going with Mike Glennon, despite the fact that Gardner Mitchell is now healthy at quarterback. It just doesn't seem like we're going to get a Jacksonville team. And we all know the situation. They're headed for the top five in the draft, almost certainly going to get Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence. Not exactly a team I want to bet right now. As I said, given everything that I have seen from Minnesota in the last four or five weeks and that comeback, that tells me that there's a lot of belief in that Vikings locker room right now that they can make a run and perhaps flirt with the playoffs. I'm laying the lumber here. Vikings big, 31-13. I like the breakdown. I I agree. I think this is Vikings or pass. I can't quite get there. I'll be – ultimately rooting for the Jags. Mike Glennon went to my high school, so it's always yeah, fun to that's watch right. him. I remember you get, saying that last week. Getting, his, getting another start this week. I mean, he's gotten the, the raw end of the deal. You get get a big payday by Chicago, and then they trade up and draft fucking Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, this is a huge game for the Vikings. I don't think the Jags can care nearly enough. They'll be competitive, but – Ultimately, I, I can't really get there with the number. Yeah, and, and, and I want to point out, if the Vikings win, they'll go to 6-6, six and six, and it would set up a massive game in the wild card picture in the NFC. Next week, Minnesota travels to Tampa Bay, who's now 7-5. and five. So uh, certainly things could get pretty interesting for the Vikings, who also play the Bears again a second time, who are still in that wild card mix for however long they survive. But uh, certainly things getting interesting for the Vikings when it looked like uh, it was going to be a down year uh, in Minnesota. Let's move forward and go to MetLife Stadium, where we have the Las Vegas Raiders, rotation number 461, visiting the New York Jets, rotation number 462. We're seeing Vegas being installed as nine-point road chalk, a total of 47 in this game. And Alex, I don't really have any interest in this side or this total. Simply put, I mean, I can't really – I feel like anytime you bet a Jets game, if you're going to bet against them, then you know you're going to be paying a premium at this point. You're going to be laying a big number. So everything really needs to align for you to want to, you know, lay a a big price against the Jets, in my opinion. And nothing, not enough aligns here with the Raiders. I know they just, and, and by no means do I want to run with the Jets. Had the Raiders not laid that egg last week, then I think you could sell me on flat spot. If you know if they just took care of business against Atlanta, 
you might be able to sell me on flat spot for the Raiders going cross country again. They're banged up, but given the fact that the Raiders just got their rear ends destroyed by the Falcons, that makes me think that you know this could be a get right spot for them. But as I said, I don't want the Raiders here either because they're going to be down. It, it appears as we record on a Thursday night. No Josh Jacobs Wednesday and Thursday at practice. No Nelson Aguilar Wednesday and Thursday at practice. And anytime you're talking about laying a big number, you got to be confident that the offense is going to be able to get you significant margin. Could be more of a get in, get out opportunity for the Raiders and just move on and stay in that AFC wild card picture. So all of that said, I don't really see much that I'm interested in here. How about you? <laughs> no, this is this is one of those games, one of my games of the week that I just don't care at all about. This could be on the the last TV at the bar. I could hey, see this not on red City zone Miami, once. Right? Yeah, those two. I just I don't need to see come up on red zone at all. I wouldn't be worried. I don't have much fantasy implications. I don't want any sure. DFS on any of these players. I just I just don't care about this. I I think the under could be a good look with what you're saying about Jacobs and Aguilar, and I can't really trust the Jets to score. That would be a good spot to look at, but this does feel like it should be a bounce back for the Raiders after how bad they played. They couldn't score an offensive touchdown against the Falcons, who are pretty abysmal defense. I'm so pretty salty about that because I had the over, and the Falcons handled business, and I was – counting on the Raiders to be right there with them, and they couldn't score a right. single Oh, offense. my God, you Touch got, what, 43 from Atlanta, and it stayed under? And it stays under by very little. I think it was 50-some, and, I mean, it's right there. You can't get a single touchdown. Carr had a couple fumbles in the red zone, pick six. And I'll speak think. to it because here's an angle. If, if anybody is craving for action on the Raiders and Jets, uh, you know, or if you're a DFS player, which I am not – but if you're looking for a guy, I think Henry Ruggs could be a cheap sleeper. I, in, a, in a deep 12-team fantasy league, I am plugging him in for DJ Moore, who's on a bye week this week with Carolina. And if Aguilar's out, then that would add to my interest in him. And speaking of points left on the field, uh, on a fourth down last week, Ruggs, hit, Ruggs catches it, makes a nice catch down the sideline and steps out of bounds at the three, and then they end up not punching it in. So, um, you know, yeah. he would have scored if you have to see that. Uh, even worse, even worse for my over. I, I miss that. I was I was putting up the Christmas tree, so I was okay. a little a <laughs> real little or fake? distracted. I went real this year. Which real, okay. It was, it was awesome, but putting the lights on a real tree is a fucking pain. <laughs> I mean, they, they say it should be fun. It's a fun time, but oh my god, trying to it, it might have taken three attempts to string them together to actually look competent. So I was. That was quite interesting. I took up a lot of my Sunday. Thankfully, I didn't. I didn't see that player. I would have been even more upset yeah, with that no, over not cashing. Uh, well, when you start talking about Christmas trees in the middle of a handicap, I think that tells you all you need to know about that game. So let's move on uh, from the <laughs> Raiders and Jets, and let's actually go to a, I think kind of an interesting game in the NFC South where we were seeing the New Orleans Saints, number 463 in the rotation, travel to Atlanta, number 464. New Orleans is a short two-and-a-half-point road favorite. Total in this game of 45. And, you know, obviously I think there's a couple different angles here that make this interesting. Obviously you have New Orleans battling for that top seed in the NFC, which would get the Saints the only buy in the new playoff format. Uh, and, and, 
you know, it's been a different Saints team as we saw last year, different quarterback with Teddy Bridgewater. But when Bree- when Breeze is not there, now it's Taysom Hill, and they just are able to win pounding the rock. And, you know, I say all that, and Hill's the one getting touchdowns, and Latavius Murray scored a few last week in Denver. So, you, you know, we're not seeing those explosive plays from Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas, but it that's just I feel like that's just their non-Drew Brees playing style, and that's what they're going to do. Uh, and so they're getting the job done in the absence of Drew Brees for a second year in a row, and he's going to be out again this game. Uh, and so then we look at the Atlanta side of things, and obviously Atlanta has surged a bit recently and not enough to get into the NFC playoff picture. But I think this is a very motivated Atlanta team. Raheem Morris, the interim head coach, remember he coached Tampa Bay about 10 years ago, and you know I'm sure he's chomping at the bit for a chance to be a full-time head coach again. And it's hard to argue with the results that he has produced in Atlanta uh, with the Falcons though, thus far. And he's recently just got a look at the Saints a few weeks ago, and in the Superdome, uh, it was an ugly performance from the Falcons. Their one real bad game under Raheem Morris, New Orleans takes it 24-9. to So all of this is to say, I think you're going to get a pretty fired up Atlanta team for a rematch against the team that they just saw. And a team that, you know, what better way if you're Raheem Morris to make a statement for the full-time job than to win this game against the Saints. And we talked about divisional home underdogs being pretty profitable, profitable this season. At the same time, I'm not running to back Atlanta because, as I said, New Orleans just seems to get the job done in the absence of Drew Brees, and you're kind of getting them. I had them a couple weeks ago at four or five-point chalk at home against Atlanta in a game I felt that would have been closer to seven if Brees was on the field. And here we're seeing two and a half. Again, I think you're kind of getting New Orleans continually a little cheap uh, as long as Brees is out. So, And for that reason, I think it actually creates value on New Orleans because they find ways to win despite him being there. All of that said, I can make a case for either side. Therefore, I won't take either one. I think this is Atlanta pass. I think they had a lot of time to look at the film on uh, Hill. Worth noting, by the way, Julio Jones up in the air. He didn't play last week. With the hamstring, I think that's been nagging him pretty much all season. So it's, it's a matter of if they want him to go, if he's comfortable going. But I think they have a lot of film on Hill. I think the first game they probably were up in the air. They might have thought that that Jameis was going to start. Right, which that's is, true. That's a completely, it's a completely different offense if Jameis is in there than Hill. So I think the – Falcons defense, they've been playing a lot better than what we saw earlier in the season. And I think with that extra time, this is a defensive-minded coach. I think they'll be able to game plan around Hill and Kamara in a more rushing attack, and they won't be quite as stunned to see Hill as they were in the first matchup. They looked really outmatched. The defense looked really confused seeing him. So I think with the extra time to prep and really – try to game plan this hill run offense, which is very much different than what they probably expected. I think this is a pretty good spot for the home dog, but I'm going to ultimately pass. 
Yeah, I, I think you make a compelling argument there for Atlanta, but I will pass as well. Um, let's stay in the same geographic area, but go to the AFC South, where we have the Tennessee Titans welcoming in the Cleveland Browns in a pretty appetizing early window matchup, as we're seeing Cleveland being installed as a six-point road underdog, total in this game of 53-and-a-half. And this is one of my plays. It is a little steep. I got it at five and a half. I'm laying the lumber with the Tennessee Titans. And I know it's a team that, because of its defensive struggles, is one that you're always going to hesitate to lay points with because backdoor, things like that can always loom when you have a defense that can't get stops. So that is a little concerning with Tennessee. But here's the thing. And Alex, I know you can attest to this. You're a Steelers guy. In the AFC North, and just in general, Cleveland is, you know, just a prototypical AFC North team where they want to be physical and run the football. And Tennessee is, you know, don't look now, but they're becoming one of the better offenses in the National Football League. Corey Davis is having a really nice season, and obviously A.J. Brown is an elite number one receiver. Ryan Tannehill, I mean, Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator, is going to come up in head coaching rumors in January because of what he's done with Ryan Tannehill. Uh, and so, and I didn't even mention Derrick Henry, and this is his time of year, right? He always seems to have his best games at the end of the regular season, into the playoffs, and the Titans ride him. And they don't even necessarily need to do that now because of how well Tannehill and the weapons have been playing. So all of this is to say that how does Cleveland keep up here? That's my concern for the Browns and why I'm ultimately going to lay the points and back the Titans. Cleveland won in 11 against the spread in its last 12 road games. Pretty concerning trend there because you think of it normally, Cleveland going on the road, you're going to be an underdog, which means you're probably going to face an offense along the way like this Tennessee one where you just can't keep up with them and Speaking about road games, one of the games that they were a road underdog in, two of them actually were in the North, in the AFC North, week one against Baltimore and against Pittsburgh earlier in the season. And those games were never competitive. And they couldn't keep up with Lamar Jackson, who had one of his better games in what's been a little bit of a down year for him. And obviously that Steelers offense we know is humming, besides last week. But the point here is, it's a Browns team that I just think is a little phony. Negative 21 point differential. Despite being 8-3, and three, the Colts are really the only good team that the Browns have beaten. The Titans, on the other hand, point differential, plus 39. And I mentioned their struggles against a number on the road. Correlates with being an underdog, Cleveland 2-6 and six against the spread in its last eight as a dog. I think this is where Cleveland gets exposed as a pretender and not a contender. Titans win by double digits. You were talking about the Browns on the road. We saw them last week in Jacksonville, and they squeaked out 27-25. and 25. Right. And, that was, and no cover. That was after, no cover, and that was after Jacksonville missed two two-point conversion attempts. So they, they kicked the extra points there. That's two points. They're tied 27-27. So the Browns edge out there barely I think the over might be a better play this is the highest total on the board 
at 53 and a half, and rightfully so. These are two lackluster defenses. The Titans ranked 20th in the league, giving up 25.9 points per game, and the Browns are 21st in the NFL, giving up 26 points per game. These are two of the top three rushing teams in the NFL. Browns are first in average rushing yards game per game, and the Titans are third. Um, So I think the offenses can really have a great day here. I think both will, but ultimately I can't get to a side here. I just would not trust Baker Mayfield despite this higher line. I think I would try to lean the Titans. I like their offense a lot more, but I think both teams will be able to score against lackluster defenses. I would probably look to the over, if anything, in this game. I'm ultimately going to pass, but I would lean the over. Let's keep things moving here as we are actually – let's not keep things moving. We're just going to take a break, and we'll come back and look at the rest of the NFL Week 13 rotation in just a few minutes. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you options to wait more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now... Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the United States are visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore. That's going by total visits. So it's clear that Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide are using Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid December through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. And we're back here on Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. My name is Greg Frank. Find me and all my gambling picks on Twitter at Undercover Greg. Joined by our co-host and producer, Alex Uplinger. Find him on Twitter at Alex underscore up seven and managing our podcast Twitter at full underscore slate underscore pod. 
Alex, we got four games in the late afternoon window. I feel like that's better than normal. I won't complain about that. Yeah, I'm happy. I feel like we touched on this a lot when we were upset to see, like, two or three. This is a nice nice change of pace. So let's get started in the Pacific Northwest, a game that we won't spend a ton of time on because we have yet another backup quarterback to discuss, and that's Colt McCoy, who is likely to start in place of Daniel Jones on Sunday as the New York Giants make the cross-country trip to take on the Seattle Seahawks. We're seeing Seattle being installed as a 10-point favorite in this game, total of 47-and-a-half. And, Alex, I guess the one thing that I would bring up is Seattle's offense last week on Monday Night Football did look a little flat, and the Eagles maybe the Eagles defense finally found something. But now they're going up against a Giants defense that has, for the most part this season, played well and is why the Giants are where they're at with a chance to win this terrible division. But at the same time, uh, it's such a good offense there with Russell and Metcalf and, and Lockett, obviously. And Chris Carson just got back from that foot foot injury, and he'll be back, uh, you would think, into a more advanced role this week after he was splitting time with Carlos Hyde last week. So while I mentioned Seattle's offense not looking at its best on Monday Night Football, now it's a short week. I don't know that I want the Giants here either. I, I think anytime it's the first game with a guy like Colt McCoy a, in this spot, you know, going cross country facing Russell and the Seahawks, no thank you. So I think I'll stay far away here. This line to me actually feels a little inflated. Giants plus 10. I mean, at the end of the day, Colt McCoy is still a very serviceable professional quarterback. You're going to get there? I'm not going to get there, but I'm just saying I wouldn't fault anyone for doing so. But Seattle's defense has looked very much improved. I think the addition of Carlos Dunlap, they finally have a competent pass rusher. Huge. So, yeah, I think that's massive. They've looked really good the past couple weeks. I'm not going to get there, but I do have a a trend that probably means absolutely nothing, but it's, it's a fun one to say. Since 2019... Teams that played the Bengals are 17-8 against the spread the week after. So that's 68% the week after playing the Bengals, which would be the Giants. And they're getting 10 points with a pretty solid defense and a very competent backup quarterback. I can see this being... Again, Is there any rationale this trend other than the Bengals have been bad and therefore teams are confident off of, off of a win? Uh, yeah, probably nothing more than what you <laughs> just said. It's just interesting to see such a that's a pretty big pretty big sample size at twenty five games and at sixty eight percent. But no, there's absolutely nothing to this trend aside okay. from feeling better off a win. So. It definitely doesn't apply here. I just want to throw it in there. Sure. There's definitely there's no correlation because it's a backup quarterback traveling across the country. I won't be able to get there, but I I would not confidently play Seattle at this number either. Me I feel like this is either. I'm just saying I, oh, okay. I wouldn't play the, the favorite as well at home, even though they look to be the drastically better team against a backup quarterback with sure. their defense playing well 
Yeah, I just I couldn't get to the window with either. I could see this. I could see this being a closer game than most would expect, but I have no confidence. Not confidence in that statement. Yeah. 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 All right, let's go from one NFC West team to two more, where we have a massive game in the desert as the Arizona Cardinals will welcome in the Los Angeles Rams. Seeing a juiced, uh, or excuse me, a soft three here. Uh, that the Rams are laying. You can get them at minus three, even money, plus 105 right now at Bet Online. So, obviously, going to have to eat some juice. It would appear right now on Arizona, if you like the dog. Total in this game of 48. But, Alex, I'm going to go right back to the well with the divisional home dog spot and take the field goal with Arizona. Yes, obviously, a little worried about Kyler Murray's health going up against one of the best defenses in the National Football League this year uh, in the L.A. Rams. Having said all that, this just feels expensive, right? And what did the Rams do last week? They lost at home to the 49ers, and now they're a road favorite against a team that's very close to them in the standings. Like It just feels wrong, honestly. And at the key of three, I think that you're going to start to see money come in on Arizona and this end up, Maybe not pick them, but close to one and a half. It would not shock me. As I said, we're already seeing a juice three. If you like Arizona, you're going to have to lay uh, 25 cents of juice on the cards. But I, I would do it. I would grab that three because it just feels like a nice buy low on Arizona to a degree, right? They're three-point dog at home. Think about what this line is if they just beat the Patriots last week, a game that, you know, they – really probably should have won. They picked off Cam a couple times, and Kyler just didn't have it. So I suppose that would be the concern here, is that there really is something to this shoulder injury, and he is going to be hampered by it the rest of the season. Of course, the key matchup to watch on the outside, DeAndre Hopkins against Jalen Ramsey. They obviously matched up plenty in the AFC South, uh, so it should be fun to watch that matchup. But honestly, here's another thing. I just don't really want to trust Jared Goff as road chalk. That Rams offense we've seen at different times of the season really just not look as good as it should. Last week against San Francisco was an example of that. At home earlier in the season against the Giants, they were kind of going through the motions offensively. And if that happens here, I'm not sure they're going to be fortunate enough to win like they were against the Giants. And it did happen last week, and they did lose the game. So for as good as the Rams' defense has been, I think that offense can be a little hit or miss. Uh, and so I'm going to go ahead and take the field goal here with Arizona. Again, the divisional home dogs have been a good bet. This is a really big game for the Cardinals because, obviously, if they lose, they start to drift away from Seattle and the Rams even more in the division, and their playoff fate uh, becomes that much more in doubt. So I think the Cardinals are the side. I love it. I took the cards plus three. I think this is worth a – Money on sprinkle. My biggest concern, like you were saying, is is Murray and the shoulder. But this is more of a bet against Goff. In the four games that the Rams have lost this season, they've lost to teams that have a high blitz rate. Miami, they're third in blitz rate. Buffalo is eighth in blitz rate. And then they lost to the Niners twice, who are 11th in blitz rate. The Cards are fourth in blitz rate. And we know they like to get after the quarterback. They bring Buda Baker off the edge. And I think that Whitworth at left tackle, that loss, that's huge. That's 
not helping. Oh, yeah, that's a big one for sure. And they can't handle the blitz at all, and then you lose that. That's really tough. Goff does not handle pressure well. In those four losses that I was talking about, Goff has five interceptions and six sacks. In their seven wins, he has only four interceptions and nine sacks. So that's a pretty big disparagement. I really like the cards here. I think they're going to blitz well. They blitz at a high rate. And I really like the the defense here to, to shut down Goff. He can't handle the pressure well. I think Murray and the offense will be able to do enough. I think the cards probably win this game outright. Love it. So some agreement there on the divisional home dog, the Arizona Cardinals in the NFC West. Let's move forward and go to Lambeau Field where we have the Green Bay Packers laying the lumber against the Philadelphia Eagles. Green Bay is a nine-point favorite in this game, total of 47.5. A soft nine at that, though. You can get them at plus money right now at Bet Online. Excuse me. You can get them at plus money at plus 103. Uh, the Packers are as a nine-point favorite. Obviously, it's a Philadelphia offense that we all watched in prime time and appears to be broken. I mean, Carson Wentz is just a statue in the pocket, and they're not really uh, getting the ball downfield much because they don't have very good weapons, and they're not giving the ball to Miles Sanders, their best weapon, who only had eight touches last week, which I thought was inexcusable. And so from that side, it just makes me wonder, how does Philadelphia score here? But it is a big number. It is nine points. Um, and... Perhaps we don't know what's going on in the Eagles locker room and what they're saying and how they're going about their practices, but maybe there is still some belief and some hope just based solely on the fact that this division is so bad and if they can find a win here or there, they'd be right back in it. I really don't think this is going to be the spot, though. It's it's a Philadelphia team that I've just crashed on, even as an Eagles fan. Like I have no idea how to bet them because on a weekly basis – I have no clue what I'm getting from their offense. And we saw last week, if you got a bad number on Monday Night Football, you would have gotten boned as Philadelphia gets through the back door in the closing minutes. So, you know, obviously a game the Eagles had no business covering in. But it is worth noting that the defense, as we talked about just a few minutes ago when we talked about the Seattle game, the Philly defense showed me something on Monday night. Uh, and they're facing another really good quarterback here. So if the Eagles can get a good pressure rate, and rush the passer well the way that they did against Russell Wilson, Derek Barnett, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox. Those are where the best players are for Philadelphia defensively, in addition to Darius Slay on the outside. Then I could make a case for Philly. Uh, but I think you could argue that that correlates better to the under in this game because of the fact that the Eagles' offense just appears to be completely shattered. So I'd lean under, but I don't think I'll be playing this game. I just got to say, I'm so glad I got Seattle early in the week last week. Got the minus 5.5, so wow. covered despite all that insanity at the yeah, end. That point feel, matters, right? You never know. <laughs> absolutely. I feel terrible for everyone who got in at 6.5. That's a disgusting beat with the Hail Mary touchdown and then the two-point conversion. I can't believe you'd go for that. But this is a game that... Philly has no business winning, which is absolutely why they'll they'll stay close. Peterson's coaching for his job. Like you said, they barely yeah. got the ball to, to Sanders there last week. But 
If there's a team you can run against, it's yeah, the Packers. They're they're 14th in the NFL in average rushing yards allowed per game. They give up 114.5 yards on the ground per game, and also it looks like John Runyon Jr. I'm sure that's a name you recognize as a as an Eagles fan. Absolutely. So it looks like he's gonna probably get his first start ever at center with. Corey Lindsley, he's going to be out with a knee injury. So, Runyon Jr. at center against Fletcher Cox. I think the Eagles can generate a lot of pressure up the middle. I think they'll be able to generate enough pressure to rattle Rodgers a little bit. This looks like prime territory for an Eagles cover. I love the nine points here. I think Slay against Adams is a great matchup. It's going to be really fun to watch. Maybe he can slow him down a bit. And then the Eagles, they're the worst team against giving up sacks. They have the most sacks allowed, and then Wentz has the most picks. But this Green Bay defense, they don't really get after the passer as much as we've seen. They're ranked 16 in the NFL in average sacks per game. They only average 2.2 sacks per game. So I think this is a good spot for the Eagles' offense to get right. They should run the ball, assuming that they actually give Sanders some fucking touches, not eight in the whole game. <laughs> oh, my God. You think Peterson has to be has to be watching that tape and thinking, why didn't we give Sanders the ball? So this is a defense you can run the ball against, and they should, which will put Wentz in some better spots. And the fact that Green Bay really can't get after the quarterback that well – I think this is a good spot for the Eagles to cover. I really like them plus nine here. Also worth noting that Philadelphia may be getting, we'll see what happens with Zach Ertz. They activated him for his return 21-day window off IR. Doesn't mean that he's going to play in this game, uh, but perhaps another weapon for Carson Wentz, and boy, does he need him because he, he certainly uh, just doesn't look like nearly the same quarterback. So we'll see what happens. I think you make a compelling case. Um, my again, my concern is that Doug Peterson just doesn't even want to be in Philadelphia anymore because when I see him make some of the decisions that he's made, going for two, going for it on fourth down, down 11, you know, in the fourth quarter where you can make it a one-score game, you know, I, I, I just don't understand. I'm, I'm all for being very aggressive. I like the aggressive play calling, but make it an eight-point game and then you see where, where it – Landed. I mean, they're right in the game. It's, right. That's eight points there. They're right at midfield in a one-score game at that point. Yeah. So it's I, inexcusable. It's, so. I'm not really sure what's going on with the Eagles as far as the you know inside behind closed doors, and that doesn't make me want to back them on the field. But I certainly hope you're right. I'd love for it to just be a competitive game. This is the big Nance Romo, or this is a. NFC game on CBS, Nance and Romo are calling it. So this is a game that a lot of the nation will be watching. And so Yeah, I that, think it's going to be oddly competitive. Like like we've said a lot of the weeks, when the Eagles look like they're completely out of it, they still they right. still hang tough. They cover. All the way back to San Francisco early in the season. Absolutely. They had no business going to San Francisco and even covering, and they win the game outright. Right. So similar price range here. If you like the Eagles, hey, not a whole lot makes sense in the NFC East this year. 
Let's wrap up the late afternoon window with the New England Patriots traveling cross country to take on the Los Angeles Chargers. Pick'em is the line currently at Bet Online. Total in this game of 47.5. Gosh, this is a weird one, Alex. It just New England opened as a dog and got bet to Pick'em. No surprise there. Uh, and it just is one of those lines that weirds me out. And oftentimes it is those short road favorites, which I think is what New England's going to close here, that just look way too easy, as we saw last week with the Raiders. You know, and and it was New England in this very role. Uh, they were actually a few points favored a couple of weeks ago against Houston, and and Houston won that game outright. So it's just one of those traps that I like to try and avoid. As you know, I've been backing New England a lot. I've kind of been just wanting to bet on Belichick and McDaniel's at the undervalued price, obviously with the roster being where it's at. And here they are at five and six, not dead in the AFC wild card picture. Um, having said all that, as I said, it just and we talked about this game before we hopped on, just one of the biggest coaching mismatches that you might ever see. And so having said that, you know, I'd probably lean New England, but I think I'm just I have to stay far away here. Seeing them, you know, Patriots have been playing well at Pickham against a Chargers team that has a coach that's probably on the way out. Like it just feels really weird. So I think I'll probably stay away. Yeah, I might get there with the Patriots. I I feel like I've been blinded by Patriots hate before. I just never want to back them. I feel like I always bet <laughs> yeah, against I them. I was there with you for a while, but I was intrigued in the opportunities this year, and we'll see how it ends. Yeah, I had the Cardinals last week. They should definitely have won that game and covered. There's no reason for New England to win that, and that's the games they win. This is the same Yeah, spot. they beat Baltimore. They beat the Raiders. They beat the Dolphins. You know, and These are all good teams that they're beating, so they're doing something right. <laughs> Right. I think that's more on the coaching than it is the the players they have. And they're traveling cross country. This looks like a bad spot, but like you said, this is one of the biggest coaching mismatches we have ever seen. Anthony Lynn might be the most <laughs> incompetent coach in in the NFL right now. I would be surprised if he makes it through to next year. The Patriots, Belichick He's 19-5 and five against rookie quarterbacks. So that's, a, that's a pretty sizable sample. Right. And then the Chargers, since 2019, they're 4-16 in one-score games. And we're seeing this as a pick right now. This might go off about one point for either side. I wouldn't be surprised if either team is favorited come Sunday. So I like those odds with Belichick against Lynn. It's a very even matchup, so I'm going to ultimately, I would probably lean with the better coach. Yeah, you have to go with the way better coach here. I would say potential look-ahead for New England to a Super Bowl rematch next Thursday night against the Rams, but how many of the players are still left from that team? (laughs) Yeah, that's a fair point, but also New England has to win. They have to win out, basically. They they play in. I think they're... I think they need to win every single game. And you know Belichick is To feel good, that. yeah. I mean maybe nine and seven could sneak in, but you won't feel good about that if you were told you're gonna be nine and seven now. No. Yeah, they need to win every game. And with such a evenly matched bunch, I have to go with a way better coach here. That's fair. Yeah, I definitely lean that way. Let's move on to the primetime games now. 
Sunday night football, the Denver Broncos with their quarterback back, Drew Locke, traveling to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. Having said that, still, Kansas City, a two-touchdown favorite here. Total in this game of 51. Uh, and Alex, you, as you acutely observed before we hopped on, I have been on Denver a lot. It was a team I was kind of high on preseason. I like a lot of the talent that they have on the roster around Drew Locke. And unfortunately, Von Miller and Cortland Sutton both got hurt early in the season. Miller before the season even started. Uh, and so those were two key losses on each side of the ball. And A.J. Boye and Bryce Callahan have been sidelined in their secondary and then they had the whole thing happen with the quarterbacks last year last week excuse me so uh not really much lining up for Denver now they're a two touchdown dog in this game I could see them keeping it close just if you wanted to back the whole angle of well they're mad Drew Locke's mad you know the whole week uh, you know everybody was talking about what happened and they were in the news for all the wrong reasons normally that's kind of a bet on type team uh and it is a division game and maybe if you're Kansas City what's your reason for margin here? You just want to win the game and, you know, keep the pressure on the Steelers for that number one seed in the AFC. I think all of this, though, better lands me on the under, which I think if I had to play this game, that's where I'd look because you might think, oh, well, it's a big line. Well, to cover, Kansas City's going to score a lot, but that's the thing. I'm not quite sure that Kansas City is just going to run right up and down on Denver the way they do most teams. Because they don't really need to do that here. Like I think this could be like a thirty to fourteen type victory for the Chiefs, something like that. Uh, and for that reason, I, I just think that it, you're probably more inclined. Remember, this was a Denver defense that they defend the tight end really well. That's one thing they've been doing well, and you see some good ones in this division with Hunter Henry, Travis Kelsey, and Darren Waller. So they can maybe take Kelsey away to a degree again. Limit the big plays to a degree from Tyreek. All of that makes me think that Kansas City maybe doesn't score at will here, which, given it's a Chiefs game, makes it land under. So that would be how I would play this game if I had to play it. I completely agree. The only the only way I'm looking here is the under. The first matchup we saw, there was a special teams touchdown, and there was also a defensive touchdown for the Chiefs. So that game got out of hand, but the Broncos were definitely in that, aside from those two scores. I just can't trust Locke at quarterback at all. I really love their weapons, and I like their defense a lot. I think this does lend more to the under. I think the Broncos' best weapons here are getting the ball out of Locke's hand, running the ball with Lindsey and Gordon. So I think the only way they can keep this close is controlling the ground game. and Time of possession, that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that might lend to the under more so it does the spread. I, I really like your prediction there. I think Kansas City is going to get theirs, of course. It's one of the best offenses we've seen in a long time. So I think I think they'll win. I think they could definitely cover, but I don't quite trust Locke in their offense to to keep it too competitive and score enough. So I would look to the under for sure. Let's go to the pair of Monday games as we have two. We're going to start with the early evening game, 5 o'clock Eastern. They kick in the Steel City. Pittsburgh, an 8.5-point favorite 
at Bet Online. Total of 42.5 against the Washington football team. And, you know, I'm probably going to end up on Washington come Monday. Alex, you mentioned it. Good point. We are missing the best of the number. This has been up around 10. Bet down to 8.5, and, and it looks like we're going to keep seeing Washington money as that is a juiced 8.5. That Bet Online is dealing. you got to lay 20 to get Washington at 8.5 points uh, as an underdog. So, having said that, uh, I do think that it's still a great spot for the Washington football team here. They are off of extended time, having last played on Thanksgiving, so they get about 10 days here to prepare for Pittsburgh. And, you know, Alex, I know you're familiar just being in that area. If there's one team, right, one unit that in the NFC East we can look at and say, well, they're consistent. And they're good at it. I think it's the Giants defense and it's the Washington defense. Now, I know Washington's secondary is not anything special, but that front seven is very legit. And I think they could make life uncomfortable for Ben Roethlisberger. And we know that Pittsburgh's offense is a lot of those short, quick, dink and dunk throws. Roethlisberger average uh, depth of target for the receivers is really nothing at all, and, and, you know, occasionally they take a shot to Claypool or James Washington, but by and large, everything's around the line of scrimmage. So I think if you're Washington, you want to utilize all that skill you have in the front seven to try and get to Roethlisberger very quickly and and beat him up and and try and make this a very physical football game. Uh, And, you know, for what it's worth offensively, it's not the best offense in the NFL by any stretch of the imagination. But Antonio Gibson has been an excellent revelation for Washington this season. And had it not been for Justin Herbert and everything that he did, you would have been hearing Gibson's name pop up more and more in offensive rookie of the year conversations. And Terry McLaurin is one of the more underrated receivers I find in the National Football League. I think he's undoubtedly the best receiver in the NFC East. And I think he could make some plays against the Pittsburgh secondary, which, as you know, that's probably where you want to go if you're attacking this Pittsburgh defense because the front seven is so dominant. So all of that makes me think great spot here, Washington scheduling with the extra time versus a short week for Pittsburgh. Uh, It makes me think, and a little bit of a sandwich spot too, the perhaps best chance at ruining the perfect season for the Pittsburgh Steelers would come next week when Pittsburgh travels to Western New York to take on the Buffalo Bills. So I think Washington is definitely the side that you want here, but you're always concerned about missing the best of the number. Yeah, I feel sick losing this number. I, I saw it at 10.5 and, and then 10 at some spots. It it was on and off the board throughout the week due to... The and mistakes. by the way, yeah, let's point out, like as we saw on Wednesday afternoon, Mike Tomlin, as a big favorite, continues not to cover. No, they played down to the competition. They they play just to the competition. Like I I would be confident that they could keep it within the number against the Chiefs, but they they play who they're playing. Like this was a wacky week against Baltimore and a ton of starters out and that was their worst game of the season. Given the circumstances, it was a tough tough game to play. But before that We've seen them struggle. They they never seem to cover the number. Against Dallas, they couldn't get there on the road. We always see them play down to the competition against Tomlin. I don't know if that's coaching or just a mental thing, but I think Washington's a great spot here. It really checks all the boxes, like you were saying. This is a 
a really good defense. The Washington football team is third in the NFL in average sacks per game. They average 3.3 sacks per game. They're also surprisingly good against the pass. They're missing Landon Collins, who is their star safety. But they really step up. I think it has a lot to do with that front seven. It generates a lot of pass rush, a lot of havoc. So it makes them better than what they are. But they're second in average passing yards allowed per game. They give up 194.6 passing yards per game. One of the few teams to be under 200 average passing yards. Sure, It's really, really impressive what they do. Ron Rivera, he's a defensive-minded coach, so they really implement a lot there. I'm more worried about the offense, but I think the biggest concern here is the loss of Bud Dupree yeah, and the short sure. week. So you see Watt coming off one side and Dupree coming off the other. That generates so much pressure when you have yeah. two great ends coming off each side. I think his loss is massive. I'm, yeah, I'm I'm upset we miss a number here. It, it's tough to to back a team when you just lost two points. Like, so would you play it down to the, the key of seven? No, I think at seven I would probably look to Pittsburgh. Okay. Oddly enough, but so you're going to stay away then, or you'll take it still at eight and a half? I'm going to stay away until Monday because it's a it's a game at five. In a long game, you'll be looking yeah. for action. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you need that 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 happy hour football. I mean, this Wednesday was awesome. I was loving it at three o'clock. First, as long as they play the game on Christmas again between New Orleans and Minnesota, it'll be the first time ever that we had an NFL season with a game because Christmas is a Friday. It'll be the first time ever that we had an NFL season with a game on every day of the week because obviously we get those few Saturday games at the end of the year. <laughs> wow, that's an incredible, it's an incredible fact right there. Yeah, and. It just shows you the NFL is king. People right. watch, people bet it. I mean, people are watching at 3 p.m. on a Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, in a weird way, Alex, and I pay close attention to the NHL, and I follow the NBA less so, but still, I ha- like it's December 3rd, and I haven't found myself this past weekend over Thanksgiving was the first time I thought, wow, there's no NBA, there's no NHL, and normally we'd be – five, six weeks into those seasons, you know, almost two months into the hockey season that normally gets started at the beginning of October. Like, I just haven't missed them as much because the NFL has managed to keep going. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, it's been wild. These these weekday games have been quite the treat. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Let's get to the last two games on the rotation, and uh, we're going to go with the originally scheduled Monday Night Football game though it wasn't originally scheduled to be played in Arizona as the San Francisco 49ers are playing. I'm assuming this game is going to be played at the same field that the Cardinals play at? Yeah, it's at their stadium. Yeah, so they're going to play the Buffalo Bills, and we're seeing San Francisco and Buffalo being basically pick them uh, across the map. Uh, some juice on the San Francisco side at minus $1.15. So you uh, per- perhaps could see San Francisco close as a short favorite. Total of 47 in this game. Another one that kind of weirded me out, Alex, right? I mean, it's a 5-6 and six San Francisco team, you know, traveling to play a home game. And, you know, it's still Nick Mullins. And I know that the offense is starting to get healthier. Raheem Mostert, Debo Samuel are back. And, 
you know, we'll, I don't think he's going to be ready this week, but maybe George Kittle finds a way back into the lineup if they keep winning and stay alive in the playoff chase. Uh, so it, it just weirded me out, though, that here's a Buffalo team that we saw take care of business, albeit in an ugly fourth quarter. We saw Buffalo win by double digits against the Chargers, and coming out of a bye, it looks like all is well, at least right now, for Buffalo. Maybe some look ahead here for Buffalo to that big Sunday night game against Pittsburgh that I just mentioned. Um, but I was really surprised to see this line come pick them. I would have thought that the Bills would have been two, three-point road chalk. For that reason, I can only look to the San Francisco, San Francisco side, another one of those weird lines that I think you only play the side that makes you weird it out and not think, oh, it's easy money to run with Buffalo and take it. Uh, and so it's obviously an interesting coaching matchup here. Great defensive coach in Sean McDermott, even though his Bills offense, excuse me, his Bills defense hasn't looked too good this year. And obviously Kyle Shanahan finding ways to win football games with Nick Mullins as he did last week just speaks to his offensive acumen. So I always love when I'm on the Niner side because I get, Kyle Shanahan and his offensive expertise sometimes at a discount when they are injured. Uh, so I'm going to look to the Niners here. And right now it's a lean, but as you said, come Monday night, standalone game, I'll probably be on it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is one you have to play just the Monday night game standalone. Might be looking at more player props. I really don't have a good read on this. So I, I see the Bills open at two-and-a-half-point favorites, and now it's down to a pick so it's that's worrisome. But I'm a Josh Allen MVP backer, so obviously I'll be rooting for them. I'll probably lean Buffalo. I just think they have way more weapons on offense. I think they can get there. Yeah, I just don't have anything concrete yet on this game. Let's wrap things up, and we'll touch quickly on the game on Tuesday. Off the board at most all sports books. Of course, it's the Baltimore Ravens hosting the Dallas Cowboys. I did believe I caught a glimpse of this number before uh, it was removed uh, from the board, and it was looking like seven, seven and a half. Yeah, I'm seeing DraftKings still has the game up at seven and a half. No total, though, and of course, the uncertainty surrounding the status of Lamar Jackson. But Alex, I will say, and we talked about this before we hopped on, uh, given the way that Baltimore defense looked on Wednesday afternoon against Pittsburgh, it's certainly looking like a defense that is finding its stride in the final month of the season. And if they can even just be some semblance of what they were last year, even if it's three quarters, 80% of last year's offense, then maybe the Ravens could get hot and move past the Browns and get into the AFC wildcard mix. Uh, so I think this is a good Get right spot for Baltimore. Of course, you have ex- ex- extra time for Dallas. Who knows what the NFC East will look like come Tuesday? Um, if Washington or you know you're gonna, we have Washington and Philly both as big underdogs, and and the Giants for that matter. So maybe everybody loses, and maybe Dallas sees that, and you know they're a big underdog here too. So not trying to make a case for them necessarily. I would actually lean to the Ravens because of how well that Ravens defense has been playing, and we saw. Andy Dalton and company really struggle against the Washington football team's defense last week. Don't know what Mike McCarthy was doing, calling a fake punt down four points in his own territory. A sign that he he just, yeah, I mean, he he's could be running it in. Yeah, yeah. He's packing it in. I don't want any part of Dallas right now. 
Uh, I would only look to Baltimore, and, and I could get there again, standalone Tuesday game. If I know Lamar's playing, given the way that the Ravens' defense has been looking, Patrick Queen looks really good. The rookie linebacker out of LSU, Marlon Humphrey, is one of the league's elite corners. Uh, I, we all know about the Ravens' defense, and it seems like every year they're good on that side of the ball. I would expect another long day for Andy Dalton and Dallas's offense. Yeah, I agree. The Baltimore defense looked so good, especially Marlon Humphrey. He was really out there. He looked like the best player on the field for much of the game against Pittsburgh. I think the only play here would be Baltimore. That seven and a half, like you were saying, it's a little worrisome, but I think if Jackson's going, it's a really good spot to bounce Remember, back. Remember, he hasn't looked great either, and he's facing a bad no. defense, so it right. could be the perfect spot for him to just let loose. Exactly. If there's any passing defense that he can exploit, it's definitely this Dallas defense. And we did see some signs of life from Hollywood Brown with that big play on Wednesday. There you go. Trace McSorley. Yeah. And Stater, Stater comes in. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I think if Jackson's back, the only side here to look is Baltimore. I'm really not confident in this Dallas defense, like you were saying on that Thanksgiving game. They really packed it in. I, I mean, yeah, Tony that, that Gibson went wild on them. That, yeah, thankfully for my fantasy team, but that that okay. fake punt was inexcusable. That was embarrassing stuff right there. Yeah, gosh. I think that says all we need to know about the Dallas Cowboys. Not going to be on them anytime soon. That'll wrap things up for another edition of Full Slate. Greg Frank signing off again. Find me and all my picks on Twitter at Undercover Greg. Find Alex managing our podcast Twitter at full underscore slate underscore pod and find himself on his personal Twitter at at Alex up, excuse me, at Alex underscore up seven. Alex, let's have some fun and catch some tickets in NFL week 13. Thanks for doing it. Absolutely. I'm excited to watch this ugly slate. Let's catch some tickets. (laughs) Hey, all tickets cash the same. This has been full slate, a blue wire gambling podcast. Thanks again for listening. And, of course, please play responsibly. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.